is a special report. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our uh, Sunday show, Globalists in Plain Sight. And we are honored today to have Alan Dershowitz with us on the show. Alan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Alan, you know, we need to talk about something that's happened just this week, and that is the release of the uh, the unsealing of the documents in the Ghislaine um, Maxwell defamation case that goes back to 2015. Uh, the case was settled in 2017. At that point in time, a lot of the documents were sealed in that case. I and mean, you have you have been very vigilant about wanting all of the documents in that case released to the public to tell the story. Now, it is um, the weekend after we have had several dumps this past week. I've gone through the documents. And quite frankly, for somebody, you know, this case has been around for such a long time. It's almost, you know, two decades now since Vicki Ward first um, wrote her story in Vanity Fair in 2002. But there are a lot of people that knew about Jeffrey Epstein, you know, in the 1990s, what was going on. But having said that, you've always said that the, the and, and this is what crossed my mind and why I wanted to interview you. You've always said that you wanted the documents out there so that it would tell the full story. But when I looked at the documents and granted all of the document releases haven't, I mean, it's not fulfilled, it's not complete yet, but, I'm not really seeing anything that's screaming off the pages that it's telling the full story. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, there is uh, one document that tells uh, the reason why I was framed and how I came to be framed. And it is a smoking gun a document. Uh, TMZ has done a long story about it uh, under the headline that uh, victim told to name drop Dershowitz. Here's the story. Uh, there's a woman named Sharon Churcher. She right. was, and she interviewed the woman who accused me. The woman had never mentioned me and never said anything about me. And Sharon uh, 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 Churcher uh, uh, said to her, "Well, well, you put, ought to put Dershowitz's name in there. Uh, he's famous. He he uh, represented Klaus von Bülow. And if you put his name in there, even though there's no proof he did anything wrong, if you put his name in there, it'll help you sell." the book. Um, and at that point, she put my name uh, in her book manuscript as someone she did not have sex with, as someone she saw me with mm. Epstein, but never had sex with. Uh, as a result of that, um, um, my name got into it um, uh, as a result of Sharon Churcher telling her to put my name in because it would help her sell the book. And so that's the beginning of the frame up. But then uh, the documents reveal that uh, she never accused me of having sex with her, because she knows, of course, I didn't have sex with her. She ultimately admitted she may have identified me. She may have mistaken me for somebody else to her credit. She finally admitted that. But but then she, she met her lawyers, her contingency fee lawyers. And at that point, uh, she, quote, 
remembered years and years later, oh yeah, yeah, she, she had uh, sex with, with me uh, and her lawyers then put it in a document. The federal judge then struck the document and sanctioned the lawyers for uh, putting my name uh, in, in, in the document. And so now we know the origin of the frame up, the origin of how I got included and falsely included. And, you know, I knew this from day one that I was falsely accused. And that's why from day one, I asked to have all the documents uh, released. In fact, just two days ago, a few days ago, we filed an additional a letter with the court saying you haven't released enough. We want more. We want everything in the case, everything relevant to this false accusation released. And we're hoping the judge will do it. There are more smoking guns in there. This is just one smoking gun. How do you, I, okay. So, so. I, the other documents and I know what's in there. And I know there's a lot of material in there that would, that, that, that is relevant to the credibility of various people involved in this matter. All right. So credibility is, you know, we, you know this better than I do as a, as a legal scholar and, you know, and, and appellate attorney. I mean, you're a genius in terms of appellate courts. So let, let's just talk about this. The, the importance of the credibility of a witness. If, it's, if they lie, the judge many times can basically dismiss part of everything that they're, you know, that they're alleging in court. But at the same time, Let's break this down. We have to remember here in America that there are 75 to 80 million people who were born from 1990 going forward. This case, Jeffrey Epstein's you know, solicitations of girls goes back as far as the 1990s. So let's, let's just begin to reconstruct this historically a little bit. My understanding, and, and I remember that I remember the very beginning when your name was was uh, came into the news and the connections to Virginia Dufresne, uh, Roberts Dufresne, you were adamant. I remember when Meredith Freire did an interview with you years ago, immediately after your name was connected to this. And, you know, you were absolutely vehemently denied it. You have been consistent with that all along. But you were involved with um, putting together the legal team back in 2000. I'm very, I'm a good lawyer. Uh, yes, was, you are. I was asked to put together the legal team. I helped. I got people like Roy Black involved um, and other great lawyers. Um, Epstein then hired uh, 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 Ken Starr, and uh, we did our job. Uh, if anybody's dissatisfied with the result, that's the fault of the prosecutor and the judge, certainly not the fault of the defense team. Our job is to get the best deal we possibly can. By the way, Epstein was very dissatisfied with the deal. He wouldn't pay me my fee. He thought I had done a terrible job because he was going to go to jail for a short period of time and then have to register as a sex offender. So although the public thought it was a sweetheart deal, Epstein himself thought it was a, a terrible deal. But that's my job. I mean, that's... Oh, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. That yeah, uh, you know, you represent people particularly I do, who are the most unpopular, who are the most despised, who other people won't uh, uh, represent. And I, I, I would do it again, and I have done it again. I've represented people who are extremely, extremely hated, um, most recently Donald Trump, and it lost me a lot of friends. Uh, and half the world likes who I represent and half the world hates who I represent. That's been my career. All right. So... In in terms of this case, Epstein was was initially accused back in 2005. The investigation uh, started then. 
he went to he went he went he had a sweet what people considered a sweetheart deal at the time. Uh, you have said through the years at different times that you were actually misled about the extent to which he was involved with underage girls. Well, the original allegation was two people, one underage, 17, and the other 18. And that's what he pleaded to. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, only later on, after I was no longer his lawyer, did all the other allegations come out. Of course, you know, we were negotiating with the both the state attorney and the U.S. attorney. And the reason the U.S. attorney was willing to make this deal is that there was no evidence of federal jurisdiction. There was no evidence that he transported anybody across state lines. And so they had a weak case um, and um, they were prepared to relegate the case to the state courts. And the state courts uh, gave a sentence that was typical of sentences in cases involving, you know, two or whatever uh, people. Epstein's position at that point was that um, the one underage girl had presented him with a driver's license showing that she was over 18. And so the uh, negotiations continued and it was resolved. And that was the relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, I never had a social relationship with him after that happened. Uh, my relationship with him was entirely uh, legal. And unlike other people, there were other people who continued a relationship with him. Even after he got to prison, uh, that was not the case with me. Did you? When was the last time you you saw uh, Epstein in person? Probably after he after he served time. Probably ten years before. I don't know. Eight, ten years before he died. I I have no exact recollection, but um, um, I didn't have any social meetings with him after he got out of uh, prison. I did. Uh, uh, he called me on uh, numerous occasions. Uh, because he wanted to um, uh, undo the uh, sexual registration issue in New York. And so spoke about that. And I think we met um, in his office once uh, about that. But it was not, again, not a social meeting. It was a, an arm's length meeting for which I charged the fee. Did... Um so fast forward, because the, the, the story sort of moved from Jeffrey Epstein, then the, the rumors were still there. Um, people were curious about him and who he knew, who Maxwell knew. Uh, the, the black book, the flight logs, eventually surfaced in, the, in this saga. I, wanted, I, I asked to have everything surfaced. I wanted every flight log. I wanted every video. I was hoping there were video cameras in his house that recorded uh, every sexual encounter. That was my hope. And I immediately waived any right of privacy and said, you know, whatever is there, please show it. Because I knew, of course, that I didn't do anything wrong. And uh, uh, the house master, the person who was in charge of his house, submitted an affidavit um, in, in which he said, I never saw Mr. Dershowitz do anything improper or be present while anyone else was being improper. Um, I never saw uh the the accuser Dershowitz was there so i wanted everything out and i still want everything out because you know the truth uh, proves without any doubt that i did nothing wrong. let me be very clear from the day i met jeffrey epstein till the day he died i had sexual contact with one woman in in my life that is my wife and no one else and any accusation to the contrary is provably false and i uh, will continue to fight that uh, and, you know, these accusations continue to come out. You know, this list 
has become like Senator McCarthy's list. I have a list of communists. So I was on the list. As soon as it was mentioned that my name was on the list, a large synagogue in, in Miami that had asked me to come and speak about Israel uh, and about Harvard uh, canceled me. Uh, oh, you're this on. Is, this is, uh, let me get this straight, Ellen, if I understand it. You're saying the list that was released this week, this the past week. was released this week included my name, of course. And as soon as the synagogue saw my name was on the list, they weren't interested in the evidence of my innocence. They weren't interested in anything else. They just said, your name's on the list. So like Senator McCarthy did in the 1950s, we're going to cancel you. And so they canceled my speech, even though it was scheduled for a particular day. I was going to be talking about Israel. They were going to be uh, having my book uh, called The War Against the Jews. I was going to be talking about Harvard and President Gay. And uh, the people in the congregation would have been very interested in hearing my views. But the heads of the congregation said, no, you're on the list. And if you're on the list, we're, we're not going to listen to you. Uh, that happened before the 92nd Street. Why canceled me? Temple Emanuel in New York canceled me. Pure McCarthyism. It doesn't matter if you're innocent or guilty. As long as you're on a list, you're going to get canceled. And that's what I've had to go through over the past nine years. But finally, 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 uh, my false accuser acknowledged that she may have confused me with somebody else. She may have misidentified me. And she said, and now the case is over. And she withdrew any legal action against me. So, you know, I thought the case was over. And then, of course, these disclosures came out. And of course, although the disclosures prove my innocence and prove I was framed, the media doesn't pick that up. The media only picks up the fact that my name is on the list 100 times. Of course it is. I flew on his airplane. I was his lawyer. He would send his airplane. The whole legal team would fly on the airplane. We would do legal work on the airplane. And then we would meet with the U.S. attorney or the state attorney. That's what lawyers do. But in this age, if your name appears on a list, it doesn't matter whether you're guilty or innocent. It's guilt by accusation, guilt by association. And uh, that's what I've been fighting now for nine years. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that, because uh, Virginia Roberts was not the only person who, who accused you. It was also Sarah Ransom. Well, let me tell you about Sarah Ransom and why her names, uh, why, why there hasn't been full disclosure. So Sarah Ransom, uh, in the yeah. run of the 2000 election, uh, wrote, I don't know, 20, 30, 50, 100 emails to um, a, a, a reporter in the New York Post. Um, and in the emails, she said she has sex tapes with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton having sex with young boys and young girls. And in those emails, she never accused me uh, of anything. Um, but, but she accused uh, uh, Branson, she accused um, all these famous people, and then she admitted that she had made it up. She admitted it to the uh, an editor at uh, at the New Yorker. She admitted it, um, and yet um, uh, the the. the well, well, let's be let's be. Alan. Wait a minute. Let me finish. None of that appears, as far as I can tell, in the disclosed material. That's why I want everything to be disclosed. Nobody would believe a word that Sarah Ransom said. Uh, she is either completely crazy, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, saying that she sent the KGB information about Hillary Clinton being a pedophile. Um, and, and so that information has not been disclosed. So all you get is the accusation without the proof that she is a, a liar or, uh, uh, or a schizophrenic or something. And that's what's wrong when you have partial disclosure. 
Um, I never met Sarah Ransom, never heard of her. She was put up to it. Um, and, and, and we have the proof of it. And, and the proof has been suppressed. So we haven't yet gotten all the information. So <clears throat> Sarah Ransom has come out in the past and said that she did lie. And she claims that she lied because she wanted, uh, she was afraid of Epstein and Epstein's camp and that she wanted them to believe that she had these tapes. Um, at the same time, yes, her credibility is absolutely in question. I agree with you I, on that. How, but but let me ask you, Alan. Is not in question. Her credibility has self-admitted as she is a liar, that she lied and made false accusations against Hillary Clinton, against Donald Trump, against Branson. She has admitted it, so it's not in question. All right. I stand corrected by you, sir. Um, but at the same time, how do you know that her documentation is now part of the documents that have yet to be released? Because this is being, this is being rolled out, you know, well, I've different documents. I've seen the documents. I have seen them. They have been discussed with me. Um, um, the woman from the New York Post told me about them. So I know they exist. But as far as I can tell, they haven't been released. I don't know why they haven't been released. And that's why we filed an application with the court to release everything. The ransom thing is the perfect example. Here you have the, the false accusation that's still on the record, that's released. But the admission that she lied about all these people has not been, as far as I know, released. Maybe it will be released. And if it is, I hope that it gets equal publicity with the false accusation. The problem is, the false accusation usually appears on page one and the recantation or the admission that she is a complete liar, uh, that appears on page 23 in the bottom. That's been the problem. That's why it's important that TMZ headlined the fact about how I was uh, framed uh, with the Churcher uh, business. And the same thing is true with, uh, with Ransom. If all the information comes out, of course nobody will believe Ransom. I never met Ransom, never heard of her never found out anything about her until she made the false accusation. Uh, and now she's admitted she's made up stories. Why she made up stories is not particularly relevant. She's also accused her own lawyers now of things. And so, uh, you know, let the whole story come out. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. I don't want anything withheld. That's what I've said from the beginning. All right. So, so that brings me to the question, if you want everything out. How did it come to be that you settled the case with Virginia, Jeffrey? They uh, proposed the settlement. The settlement was made. And it wasn't really a settlement. Um, she admitted that she may have mistaken me. And she withdrew her lawsuit. Mine was a counterclaim lawsuit. And I withdrew my lawsuit. No money was exchanged. Um, no payments were made. And um, I think that's all I'm allowed to say about it. There is a restriction on on, on what I'm permitted to say. I'm permitted to read her statement. And her statement is that, you know, she was young, there was pressure, and she uh, now recognizes that she may have mistaken me for somebody else. Did you, going through this experience, Alan, did you ever come to the conclusion that there were others, other than Ransom, and not, I'm saying beyond you, okay? Ransom and Virginia accused you. Did you ever come to the conclusion that there were other women who were making false accusations? Yes. How many? And I don't know, but I know another one admitted it. I can't get into that, but there was another one who admitted she made false accusations. And look, 
I, I, I'm. Why, if if you want I, the whole, but if you want, don't cut me off. I, I, I believe women tell the truth like men tell the truth. I, I think that you should. Anytime a woman makes an accusation, it should be carefully investigated. But there's nothing genetic about either a man or a woman which would incline them as a group to lie or tell the truth. That's why we have a legal system. And there are some claims that are false and there are some claims that are true and everyone should be investigated and thoroughly investigated based on all the evidence. That's why I want all the documents to come out. Well, if, if that's the case, why wouldn't you guys at the very beginning try to, I mean, the lawyers at the very beginning tried to find out the extent to which the, the West Palm Beach girls were involved to find out if Epstein was telling the truth. That's not my job. My job is to defend uh, the prosecutor's job is to um, gather all the evidence. My job is to defend the, uh, the, the accused. That's what I did. That's not the right. criminal defense attorney to make the case for the prosecution. Is the story about you showing social media to, I can't remember now if it was uh, the a prosecutor it, at the time? Here's the story, of course. Uh, of course it's true. Uh, here's the story. Um, I'm not an investigator. I don't have a computer. I don't know how to use investigating tools. Um, uh, my client presented me with information that an investigator had come up with about the accusers. And it's, of course, the obligation, the constitutional obligation of a lawyer to turn over any exculpatory evidence to the prosecution. Uh, there isn't a single defense lawyer in the world who wouldn't have done that. Of course I did that. Every bit of information that was exculpatory or questioned the credibility of any witness, you're obliged to turn over to the prosecution. I did that. I did not gather the evidence. I had nothing to do with getting the evidence, but I was presented the evidence. And of course, and if there had been a trial, uh, if I had been the lawyer, I would have used it to cross-examine the witnesses. That's what the adversary system is about. All right, so Alan, we're gonna to go to a break right now and coming back, I wanna ask you a little bit more about this case and how you see it going down. Okay. Alan, we're back with Alan Dershowitz. We're talking about the uh, Maxwell Jeffrey uh, defamation suit that resulted in uh, hundreds of pages of over a thousand pages of documents. Uh, and some of them are partial depositions. Some of them are ex exhibits in that defamation case that was settled in 2017. Names have been listed in, within that case. Alan Dershowitz's name is one of them. Tony Lyons, your publisher, is He's also listed. Um, at an interview, but again, he had an interview with Sharon Churcher in which uh, she said that she doesn't uh, believe that I did anything wrong. So of course his name would be listed, but you know, the fact that his name is listed 
he has no involvement in this case. But if his name is listed, people assume he must have done uh, something wrong. Let's remember another thing. Judge Cabranes, who's a very prominent judge in the Second Circuit, wrote an opinion in which he warned the media, in which he said, look, if names appear in court documents, they're less likely to be true than if they just are part of uh, an attack in the media. Because if you falsely accuse somebody in the media, you can be sued for defamation. But if you make that false accusation in a court document, then you can't be sued for defamation. So right. Judge Connor said, be very careful about believing anything that's in a court document. It's less likely to be true than if it's just stated to the media. And I think this case is a perfect example of that. In fact, I suspect that Judge Cabranes was talking about this case. It was in the context of this kind of case that he made that statement. So it's very important. And your reference to Tony Lyons is a perfect example. Here's a publisher who had an interview with Churchill. It had nothing to do with Epstein, probably never met him, never, never had any contact with him at all. But his name's on the list because he had an interview with Churchill, and Churchill said in the interview, that she doesn't believe I did anything wrong. Well, let me just say, Alan, I brought up Tony Lyons' name as an example because I know Tony Lyons. I've interviewed him. You know, he's a friend, uh, and I, I consider I, he is an example of somebody. He was out there in the in the course of he's on the record with us on the course of somebody pitching a book to him. He discovered a piece of information that was exculpatory for you. And then, you know, I presume he gave you that information and presented it to the court. And hence, his name would come up on a, on a witness list. I saw people, like, I'm, I'm very critical right now of how the press is handling this document dump. Because quite <laughs> frankly, I, you know, as you well know, I've interviewed human trafficking cases, including those who've been falsely accused as, uh, you know, for almost a quarter of a century. And I can see how some people that don't understand the law Tony's name came up in the context of a, of a witness list for a defense. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really crazy how it's being bled out as if Tony was, be, you know, besties with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, which is not the case whatsoever. So, I mean, I'm bringing up Tony's name and agree with you. I think that people have to be very careful in the media because there aren't that many documents that are there that are astounding to me. I want to make sure to, to praise and thank uh, ultimately, my false accuser for having the courage to come forward and to admit that she was under pressure and she was young, and she now recognizes that she may have mistaken me for somebody else, um, and that the case is over as far as she was concerned. She wants to go on uh, with her life, and so do I. Uh, this document dump, of course, has brought everything uh, into the forefront, and the media is focusing on the wrong things. Only TMZ has focused on the origin of the frame up and how the frame-up started with uh, Churcher uh, putting into the mind of my accuser, oh, you should mention Dershowitz, he's famous, he represented Klaus von Bülow. We know there's no proof he did anything wrong, but if you mention him in your book, it'll help you sell your book. So she put me in the book as somebody she did not have sex with. And then that, you know, the media doesn't focus on that. The media focuses on the fact that that my name is on flight logs. Of course, my name's on the flight logs. I, I flew with his lawyers uh, to represent him. And I flew uh, with uh, Senator Glenn to meet Shimon Perez. I flew uh, to see an astronaut, to see a satellite launch at the, as a, as, at the invitation of the head of, of NASA. 
um, and and you know, all of these things are completely innocent. And yet, if your name appears uh, in any context, it it is assumed by the rumor uh, mongering uh, media that you must be guilty of something. I am not guilty of anything. I did absolutely nothing. Well, no one quite from day. I wanted everything released. I have nothing to hide. Alan, I understand that. And so when you wanted everything released at the same time, knowing what the media does in a situation like this, did you not foresee that this would come up again? I mean, you know, I, th I think it's worthy to, to praise you. You wanted everything out there. But of course, we live in a time where people don't know how to do investigative reporting. They want to just go after people. Because, I mean, they're going after Tony because Tony's, you know, close to Bobby Kennedy. But it's 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 to the point now where how do we decipher the, the, the truth on this? Is it going to take the entire the entire file to be released? If you've seen everything, what is it that we haven't seen that we should be focused on from your point of view? Oh, for example, the emails uh, from um, uh, Sarah Ransom uh, that would prove that she's either a complete nutcase or that she's a pathological liar. Uh, that, as far as I know, hasn't been released. We've been trying to get them uh, released right right from the beginning. And there are many, many other things. I've seen smoking guns in there that are very, very relevant. And I want everything released, as I've said from day one. There is no possibility that there could be any truthful piece of evidence that would uh, incriminate me because I did nothing wrong. You can't create facts out of, out of whole air. I conducted myself absolutely absolutely in the right way in every way professionally with epstein with every other one of my clients and uh that's why i want everything out there i hope the media will prioritize and report everything in a proper fashion so far they haven't all they did is repeated the fact that yeah i was on his airplane of course i was and and other uh, allegations in the past without giving the, the information that re rebutted it you know thank you tmz for uh finding those emails, um, I was aware of those. Uh, I was told about those emails um, by by um, uh, the lawyers in the case. But now the media has to focus on those emails and has to ask. Well, but but Alan, you know, I, for somebody like me, I knew about the churcher. I, I realized that she had pressure. This wasn't. I mean, but but what else, what are the other smoking guns you think that are out there? Not just per pertaining to you, since pertaining to anybody else in this case who may have been falsely accused. Problem is, as a lawyer, I'm not entitled to disclose material that is no not unsealed. If it's sealed, I can't disclose it. I could disclose the ransom material because it was told to me by the journalist from the New York uh, uh, Post. But there are other things in there that I'm aware of that I'm not permitted to disclose. As soon okay. as they're disclosed, I'll be happy to comment uh, on them and uh, and there's some very important material that hasn't been disclosed. Maybe they will be disclosed, but I don't think it's right to have half disclosures. Remember, half truths are lies. And when you get a half truth, when you get an accusation and that's disclosed, but the recantation or the admission by ransom, for example, that she lied and made up the whole story, that's not been disclosed and 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 why the affidavit, that she well, the document hasn't been disclosed, but the substance that she lied about that has been has been known for quite some time. No, Ellen. 
disclosed in this. Remember, what the media is focusing on is the documents that are disclosed in this unsealing. And that's why all of these documents have to be disclosed. The media is interested in facts that were known before. The media is interested in what has been disclosed. And that's why these materials have to be disclosed. They have to be part of the document dump so that the media reports on them. For example, the TMZ thing. I was aware of the Churcher emails, of course, but nobody reported on them. But now that they've been disclosed as part of this document release, TMZ reported on them. Again, thank you, TMZ. You're one of the few media outlets that is really doing your job by finding this material and reporting on it in a proper fashion. Well, Alan, we're having you on today because we're trying we're trying to get the right reporting on this. All right. Putting me on. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. I'm restricted in what I can say, but I'll say everything I can that I'm allowed to. All right. Let's let me let me take the 45,000 foot question right now. Yeah. Looking back, okay, on everything that you've gone through personally, your family's gone through um, fighting this in court, fighting for your reputation, coming to the realization of, you know, what exactly Jeffrey Epstein was up to and, and Ghislaine Maxwell was up to. How do you look at this, knowing now what you know at this entire situation? Because you, you have said that, you know, once you realize that he was not fully, he didn't, he didn't tell even his lawyers the full truth in the, go, in the, in the case back in the 2005, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Look, what, what's, your, what's your feeling about who is this guy? Well, first of all, I wish I had never met him. Um, I was introduced to him by the lady Lynn Rothschild. Mm-hmm. Who was not a Rothschild at the time. Let me just make a note of that. Child, but she was going out with Evelyn Rothschild. In fact, um, I went to a birthday party for Evelyn Rothschild that Jeffrey Epstein uh, was at. Uh, Evelyn Rothschild introduced Jeffrey Epstein, as far as I know, to everybody. I think she's the one who introduced him to uh, Bill Clinton. I think she may have introduced him to um, Prince Andrew. She introduced him to me. She pleaded with me. I said, no, I'm not interested in meeting this guy. And she said, please do me a favor. And, you know, she was <coughs> my, She said, he's very important. He gave $50 million to Harvard and, and the Harvard people want you to meet him. So he came to my house, met my wife, my children, uh, left us a bottle of wine. Um, I spoke to him for probably a half an hour. He wanted to talk about science. And then he invited me to fly on his plane with Senator Glenn to meet uh, Shimon Perez at the home of Leslie Wexner to celebrate his 59th birthday. All right. So did you, so let me ask you something. Did you get sucked into the money? Because that seems to me that that's what's happened with a lot of people. They got sucked into the money. I never, ever got a single penny from Jeffrey Epstein. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are people on this planet. And Alan, you and I both know this. There are people in the political world, in the New York world, in the Palm Beach world. And there are a lot of people in Europe, too, who get sucked into around somebody who, who claims to be a billionaire. All right. I and have- I want to know, looking back now, my question is, looking back now, who is this guy from everything that you know and everything you've experienced knowing him? I have no idea who he is. Um, you know, I had no idea he was doing anything improper. I was not interested in his money. I was interested in the fact that he gave academic seminars. He introduced me to the man, for example, who decoded the genome. He had been at Harvard for years, but I never met him. And my relationship with Epstein was 
academic. Uh, it was never any financial thing. I've, you know, I've represented what, 15, 20 billionaires. I'm not impressed by money. I'm not impressed by billions of dollars. I have many, many billionaire clients. So most what is, so what is it? Most what? of my, wait a minute, please. Most of my clients are poor. I do half of my cases pro bono and actually more than half of my cases pro bono. I am not impressed by money. Um, I, I, what, what, uh, brought me connection with Jeffrey Epstein was the seminars he gave. The fact that he brought all these brilliant people together, Stephen Gould and, 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 uh, the man with the, the, the genome church and, uh, uh the president of Harvard. And, uh, I was, uh, asked to, uh, present, uh, a paper on some, uh, subject about prediction. Uh, these were serious academic discussions. And I participated in them until the time that I found out what, what, what was going on in his private life. And then I terminated academic and, and any, perf any relationship with him except a lawyer-client relationship with him. So again, I did nothing wrong. I wish I had never met him. Uh, you know, the fact that I met him destroyed uh, 10 years of my life and my, my, uh, damaged my legacy because people still believe it. I get, I get, I get emails every day calling me horrible, horrible names. Um, uh, the other day, a very prominent person um, called me by a terrible name, um, a, a man who's on, 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 on television. And, um, um, my, you know, I've conferred with my lawyers about that. So, uh, you know, this has been very damaging to me, very hurtful to me. It's the only case I've had. Look, I've had 300 cases. Uh, I'm one of the most successful lawyers, uh, criminal appellate lawyers in the history of this country. Um, when I graduated from Harvard, I had this amazing event where all these people praised me. And then shortly after that, this thing happened and it affected my family. It affected my wife, my children, my grandchildren. And it's unforgivable. Uh, and, and but, but Alan, let, let me stop you for a second. Okay. My dad went to MIT. All right. I went to Georgetown. So I know that a lot of the same people that you know as well. All right. And what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out here is exactly what is it that people, that people, Katie Couric showed up at his house when Prince Andrews, uh, Stephanopoulos showed up at his house. I worked at ABC News. I was at CNN. There were people that still showed up in Epstein's orbit when the rumors were out there before he was convicted and when, at, even after he got the quote unquote sweetheart deal that he wasn't pleased with back in 2009. All right. So I'm trying to figure out because a lot of people throw seminars. A lot of people are involved with science. A lot of people are involved with elite universities. So what was it that got people that I would have thought would not have associated with a pedophile? I wouldn't have a pedophile at my dinner table if I knew it or suspected it. Neither would I. Neither would well, I. But people didn't walk away from him. What was it about him? Was it him? I walked away from him. You have to ask them. I would never knowingly associate with somebody who, uh, other than in a legal capacity, I've represented some of the worst people uh, in the criminal justice system over the years. Um, and so, of course, that's true. Like a doctor uh, has to treat people who they don't like, lawyers treat people and, and, and defend people who they don't like all the time. Um, so uh, my association with him is, is clear and, and justified. I have no idea why people continue to uh, associate with him after the uh, uh, conviction 
and after he served a sentence. You have to ask people about that, but don't ask me about that. I was not one of them. Did you never have a conversation with uh, with our mutual friend Bill Clinton? Did you never have a conversation with any of these other people? About Bill Clinton. Um, so um, I was invited, uh, my wife and I were invited to have dinner at the home of Caroline Kennedy and her husband, Ed Schlossberg. And uh, Bill Clinton was invited as well. He was president at the time and another couple uh, who had been her classmate at Harvard. And so we were sitting around the table and um, uh, the Secret Service man came over to President Clinton and said, you have a phone call. And so he walked away, had a conversation, maybe 10, 15 minutes, I don't know, an animated conversation. I didn't hear it. And then he came back to me with the phone and said, somebody wants to say hello to you. I got on the phone and it was Jeffrey Epstein, who, again, I had met through, you know, this Senator Glenn and, and Shimon Perez. So I had I knew him and he was saying, oh, Alan, it's nice you're having dinner with the president. Uh, 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 best regards. So I, I am an eyewitness to the fact that the president of the United States did have a conversation on the phone uh, with um, with Jeffrey Epstein. But this was years, years before there was any allegation about it. And this was probably around to. 2000. He was no. He was still president. So this had to be in the 1990s. It was probably you know 1998 or 1999 because he was president at the time. So yeah, I'm I'm an eyewitness to that, but I don't I I'm not a witness to the fact that there was a, a relationship after all this happened. I just don't know. I read about it in the newspapers, but I don't have any firsthand experience about that. Let me ask you about uh, Glenn Maxwell. All right. Um, people that I know in the UK, people that I know in the US, you know, when they when they talk about her, um, basically say she was a very masterful social climber. All right. She, she was an, she was a connector. She would introduce people. What was your opinion of, of her, Alan? Well, I had first met her because I wrote a book review of a book uh, about her father's death. And when her father died, he had in his uh, notebook a list of people he wanted to see when he came to the United States. And my name was on that list, along with Mike Wallace and uh, a few others. I, I never found out why he wanted to see me, but obviously he was under investigation at the time. And so I, I met I, I met her in person um, when she was Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend. So when we met Epstein, he was with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell most of the time or much of the time. And um, both and my wife and my daughter and I uh, both spent a little bit of time with her. We liked her very much. I remember she made toast for my daughter in the shape of soldiers. My daughter was like seven or eight at the time. And, uh, uh, but I never saw her do anything improper, period. I never saw her do anything improper, but she was a very social person. Were you ever asked to uh, get involved with anything for her legally? I was, I spoke to her brother um, uh, on several occasions um, and gave some advice, um, uh, but that's all I can say about that. Okay. All right. What is, where, where do you think this goes? Because as you say, the, the, the document dump uh, may not be over. You guys uh -huh. have filed a motion for, for asking for the kitchen sink and hopefully you'll get the entire house of Hope cards so. here. Um, get everything and I hope all the information comes out. And I hope everybody bases their assessment of people's individual responsibility on the evidence, not on whether they're on a list of, of any kind. That's McCarthyism. Senator McCarthy used to hold up and say, I have a list here of people who are communists. And if your name was on the list, 
your career was over. And that this, this is as close to that as I've seen in my 85 years of uh, life and my 70 years or so of, uh, of, of following news reports of this. Well, let me just let me just add so the public understands this, and you can confirm this as well. There are people's names on the list who actually are lawyers involved with representing some of the victim survivors through the years, like Bradley Edwards. Brad Edwards uh, is is on the list, uh, as is uh, Macaulay, who is you know your accuser's attorney. So. People need to, and I agree with you, people need to be very careful looking at this list because these are names that are mentioned in documents, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these people are, are actually like uh, Epstein or like Maxwell. I agree I, with you on that. I agree. Everybody ought to be assessed based on individual facts, not on the basis of being on a list, or even on the basis of having an accusation made against them. Accusations can be true or they can be false, and they have to be evaluated based on the available evidence. And the available evidence should include all the <coughs> now in uh, uh, sealed files. So, uh, Alan, let, let me pivot to another topic. Let's talk about your book. If you were at, if you, what are your opinions of what's going on in Israel um, between Hamas and Israel in the Middle East right now? This is your your book that came out on October seventh, the day of the horrible barbarism. I dropped everything I was doing and decided to write a book. I called, uh, I called uh, uh, Tony, um, publisher, and I said, I know I'm working on another book about the new McCarthyism, but I'd like to drop everything and write a book about what happened on, on the 7th and thereafter. And he said, if you can get this book to me in 30 days, I'll get it out in 60 days. And we did. We may have broken the record uh, for getting a book out. So. Um, the October 7th book was already published by December 7th. Uh, it's now uh, on, uh, available on Amazon. I tell not only the story of the 7th, but of the 8th, where uh, a day after, before Israel had a single troop in Gaza, um, the National Lawyers Guild blamed it all on Israel. 33 groups at Harvard blamed it on Israel. The president of Harvard responded inappropriately. Um, I tell the whole story uh, from beginning to what was the end uh, in, in December, um, and um, uh, people are very interested in my assessment of the book. Israel is now going to be put on trial in the International Court of Justice. Um, I hope that uh, the truth will prevail in that case as well. Um, I stand um, as a defender of Israel. I have been for years, um, uh, and I've written six books on Israel, and so it's, it's an issue that interests me. Uh, greatly, far more interesting than the Jeffrey Epstein matter, and I'm far more uh, involved and devoted to uh, defending Israel than uh, the Epstein matter. As far as the Epstein matter is concerned, I would think it, it's over, it's done with it, as far as my part is concerned. Um, but the evidence is overwhelming, conclusive, undeniable that I did nothing wrong. I hope the public will believe that and allow me to get back to the most important job I have, and that is defending Israel in the court of public opinion. Alan Dershowitz, thank you very much. I hope that you, we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today. And I, and I want to invite you back as this continues, since this isn't the last of the document dump. Thank you for asking me hard questions. I appreciate it. Well, and, and thank you and good luck with your book. Thank you.